same China, different stories. We are the ones that found our way in a new life. Adopted babies, adopted babies from China. episode of ABC Adopted Babies from China podcast. I'm your host Tara and today I am speaking with Juliana who actually has the experience of being in Canada and in the U.S. which is like a first. It's pretty exciting. I know Juliana just finished finals as we're recording and it's the holiday season but yeah I'll definitely let Juliana introduce yourself and tell me more about you and your story. Okay, yeah. Hi, I'm Juliana. I'm 20 years old and I was adopted when I was a year old from Shanxi province in the northeast of China. Yeah, and I I grew up in New York City and now I'm studying in Canada um, as a history major. Ooh, history. Do you have a focus? I don't have like I'm not like I don't have like an official focus like I don't need to declare a specific like area of history but I do tend to lean more towards um the eastern hemisphere ah very cool yeah oh so how many do you have just a couple years left for education yeah yeah so I'm in my third year so a year and a half a year and a semester so yeah so you were you were adopted when you were a year old do you have siblings is it just you I do not. It was just me. Yes. It's just you grew up. But I grew up with pets, so it kind of, it felt, it made it feel like there was, I had siblings. Ah, I just spoke with another adoptee named Zach who mentioned the same thing. It's like, I had like dogs and a cat. I'm like, oh, I guess if you have pets growing up, it's like another feeling of siblings. Yeah, definitely. How did you decide to study history as like a focus? And in Canada too, how come Canada and not in the U.S.? Yeah, so um, originally I actually thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. And um, the school that I'm in has a vet school. A lot of students who want to be vets end up going to the university for undergrad and then go there, then go to the vet school um, if they get in. And so... I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian, and so I went there. Uh, my original uh, major was zoology, and then I switched um, by my second year. Oh, okay. So the school you're at right now is the one that people go to for vet- veterinary. Wow, veterinary, veterinary, veterinary medicine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. We're gonna keep that because I'm not gonna try to repeat that. Uh, <laughs> But then why, in your second year, you decided to switch after your interest shifted. Yeah. Also, oh. my, um, it's just the fact that, like, the um, currency exchange makes here cheaper, even though I'm considered an international student. Oh, okay. So you have U- U.S. citizenship, but you are just a student in Canada. Right. I guess, like, if you wanted to change your citizenship to Canadian, can you do that since you've been a student studying for some time? I still have to apply the same way, but I am pretty sure that it's kind of like the process is a bit faster because they know that I've been a student here. Mm, It is my goal to do, to get dual citizenship, but um, I haven't started that process yet. So I'm not, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you like what that's like yet. That sounds very fascinating. I mean, I definitely will need to take like an exam and stuff, but I, I, I'm confident I'll I'll be okay. A lot of it has to do with Canada, and I did have to take a 
Canadian history course, so. I guess this brings up the question of, are there differences between living in New York City and then living in Canada where you are? I guess it also depends where you are in Canada. Um, so I go to the University of Guelph, and so I'm in this town called Guelph, G-U-E-L-P-H, and there are definitely differences. Um, this town maybe has a population of like, I want to say 40,000 compared to New York City, which is like millions. Um, yeah, it's very different, but it doesn't feel like I, I thought I would feel claustrophobic in a smaller community, but I don't, so it's nice. Mm-hmm. Is there a lot of, that's always the key question, but comes up a lot, a lot of diversity too, where you are, or mix No. No. <laughs> no, there's not actually a lot of diversity. Um, my school is predominantly white, but there are, I don't know, it's just, I surround myself with diverse groups of people, so mm-hmm. I guess I kind of get that, like, diversity like, I, I can kind of think of it as diverse just within my social circles, but in terms of, like, as a whole, it's not. Okay. Di- more diverse than certain other areas in Canada, but less diverse than Toronto. Okay. Because I think I'm learning, also in New York, depending what areas you go into, there's pockets of people that are just really not that diverse, too. It really depends where you go, where you live. Yeah. You decided that you are you were thinking of being a vet going to abbreviate you wanted to be a vet initially <laughs> and you decided to go to school in Canada was there experiences growing up that led you to want to be a vet or because I'm sure the change is it's a big change too even going from being a vet to a history focus yeah um I think I, I you know I always loved animals and I always liked helping animals and I really liked biology and had an interest in bio but once I went into my first year with the kind of general science courses, I realized that um, as much as I loved biology and as much as I love animals, it wasn't, it wasn't the right focus for me. And actually history was the subject growing up throughout since like primary school, that was my favorite, that was my favorite subject mm-hmm. in school. It just felt like right to like, for history to be what I switched into despite how different the, the focuses are. Right. And then you said right now you have swayed more towards the Eastern Hemisphere. So is that the Asian studies, like Asia and... Yeah, Asia, Africa. Yeah. Is there anything that's been really insightful or interesting that you've learned in your Asian studies, I guess? Uh, yeah, I've taken two, um, two Asian studies courses so far with the same professor. Um, and recently, in the one that I had just finished up this past semester, I found it really like I don't want to say interesting and I don't want to say good, but he did a lecture, a full lecture on the one child policy. Um, And I found that to be very kind of, I guess, relieving in the sense that some professors and educators don't, don't leave that out. Right. Uh, You know, and we had to do presentations because, you know, this whole learning is like online learning and distance. Um, So we did presentations over Zoom. And so I was able to do the, with someone else do a, a presentation on the one child policy. So I think that's that's a recent a recent inspiring thing that's has come out of that. Yeah. I can't imagine because a lot of adoptees I've spoken with usually do mention how their adoption does influence sometimes or the other way around. They'll do like a project or a research study. But I 
wonder what it's like to study, especially the one child policy in such detail, and then do a presentation if that at all brings up, I guess, connections to your adoption too? Yeah, um, well, I had, I had, I took, I've taken two, cor two courses focused on um, Asian and Chinese specific um, studies. And so the first one that I took, which was not this past semester, I did my paper on the one child policy. And so I feel like that, um, that definitely involved more research while the presentation was more analyzing and discussing a source. And mm -hmm. so I definitely felt more of a kind of like feeling of reflection about my own adoption when I had written that paper, um, mm -hmm. I think, semesters ago. Since you have a couple years more to go, I'm sure you're going to experience more or become more interested in like a certain aspect possibly and use yeah. that later. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Very materialistic type question, but what was it like moving to Canada? So I know, I guess it's really not that different from like moving across the U.S. I've never thought of like what I brought. It definitely wasn't like a really big culture shock because it's still North America. And so mm -hmm. it definitely was, it was pretty, pretty chill, you know, but yeah. Nothing special. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it has its, like, nice perks of, like, you know, you don't need to pay crap ton of money for, um, healthcare when you go to the doctor or, you know, whatever, and then they refer you to someone you don't need to deal, you, you don't need to really be concerned about if they take this insurance, um, because it's, it's pretty, like, universal. I've definitely been able to, like, kind of learn about the fact that, you know, people will say like, oh, I'm moving to Canada because the U.S. is trash. I've definitely learned that can't, it's not like Canada is perfect, you know? And mm -hmm. so I think that that also helped with my perspective on just the U.S., just unlike vice versa. I see. Yeah, it's the saying grass is not always greener on the other side type. Well, yeah. I mean, that's literal here in the border conversation. Like, it's definitely, like, has its advantages over America, but I think that there are some things, especially in Canadian history, um, that are kind of overlooked that are not, also that are not covered in the United States history, mm -hmm. classes, um, that I think also kind of feed into that, uh, that, uh, belief that Canadian society is just like a hundred percent perfect. Right. Yeah, I think it's been known, depending even within a state in the U.S., even within a state or a region, I guess really narrows down even province in China, that some things in history will be eliminated or not spoken about just because of the area, which yeah. is overwhelming to think about that because it's a history is pretty important to understanding where we're going and what we're doing now <laughs> in a pandemic, for instance. Yeah, definitely. But Canada, it's great. It's just not like, it's not that much different from the United States, I guess, is what I was trying to say. Did you go to public schools in New York City when you were growing up, right? P.S. Yeah. Those numbers? Yeah. I went, yes, I went to public schools throughout, um, throughout my schooling in New York. You were adopted by a single mom. So is your mom still in New York City or did she yeah. also move? Uh, no, she's still in New York City. Oh, she's still in New York City. Yes. So if you guys want to visit each other, it's not too much of a hassle. Um, now it is because of the border being closed with COVID. But, oh, good um, point. <laughs> but um, prior, no, 
prior to COVID, um, no, it has, it, it's, it's been easy. Oh, wow. I imagine that's pretty tough being apart physically, of course, because of COVID. But even before that, I'm sure it's like your mom doesn't have you with her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did, I was, I did spend uh, all of quarantine there, as though, so it's not as hard. Oh, you did? Oh, so you were back in New York before. Yeah, I was back in New York from around March to August. Okay, you were here actually during the, probably the worst of it. Because I think. Yeah. Even now, it's it's pretty bad, but I don't think it's as bad as it was when it initially began. Border was closed since March and it's still been closed to like tourists. Uh, but because I have a student visa, I was able to um, oh. stay up here. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that. Cool. Learning new stuff every time I do one of the, every time I talk, <laughs> speak with somebody. Like ah, I didn't know that. Because oh, I think even people with visas trying to come to the U.S. Like education-wise, I don't know if they're restricted. They might be. So that's that's another one thing that I probably won't look up and make sure it's true. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't do this for accuracy. Yeah, conversation more about China. So have you been back to where you were born? Do you want to go back? Or born, I should say, quote-unquote. Have you been back to China where you were adopted from? Do you want to go back? I have not been back yet. Um I definitely would want to and be interested in going back at some point, but I'm not sure when that would be yet. And I, every time I've asked that, people say it's like, well, COVID, obviously we can. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I th- I'm thinking more after we're allowed to travel again. Oh, yeah, no, that, that didn't even cross my mind. But um, yeah, no, I, I definitely am interested in going back at some point, but I'm not sure when. And I tend to see myself kind of avoid traveling to anywhere near China because I feel like that will bring up bring up feelings Mm. about my adoption and so I feel like until the time that I'm ready to go back to specifically like you know where I was adopted from and everything I want to kind of just not stay away in a bad way but just you know Mm -hmm. I want my first experience going back to uh, China and this like just Asia to be uh, having, having to do with my adoption I was fortunate enough growing up to do a lot of traveling and I've been to many countries in Europe and around there, but I don't want, I don't, and I want to travel to other countries in Asia, but I feel like the first one that I want to go to would be China. Oh, okay. For for that experience of uh, reflecting on my adoption. Yeah. You have time to work through, I guess, your feelings about your own adoption. And then you said, when you go, you would want to go to China first versus going to like Japan or? Yeah, like I'd still love to go to like Japan and go to, um, you know, South Korea and Thailand and everything, but I would want to, I would want China, like, I guess, in a sense, going back to China to be like the first. The first, the first first Asian. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like you get the hard thing out of the way first and then the rest is nice and smooth yeah (laughs) yeah there's uh, somebody I met recently who came to the U.S. for studies and everything and has been here for I think about 10 years and and she told me she's like I will not go back and live in China I just won't do it it's like oh really so where do you want to live she's like I like it here (laughs) doesn't want to go to China though or live in China I was like oh wow it's really interesting it's very different it's a very different you know I mean, I'm just, not, I just know it's different because of the history courses that I've been taking. 
Mm. Um, it's not like I've been there, but it's a it's a very different, you know, um, in terms of government. And culture. I could see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm asking questions about Canada, like it's a whole foreign place, but it really it's part of North America. Yeah. It's really not that different. So that's just a little bit of. I guess perception too on my part. It's like, yeah, Canada seems like this foreign place. I mean, there's all similarities, I'm sure, to the US, but also culturally, I'm sure there's some different things. Oh, like French. French is spoken in Canada too. I guess certain parts, but. French is spoken in Canada. Um, I'm not in Quebec, which is where the, the primary place where French is spoken, but people um, still are taught French, um, like in primary school here, but. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm hearing it like every every Everywhere. which way. Yeah. yeah. Do you speak any other languages? Um, I know a bit of Spanish, but I would not say I know enough to be like, oh yeah, I speak Spanish. I'm bilingual. Gotcha. So, yeah. One second, my hedgehog is acting up. Your hedgehog. No, oh, I'm serious. No, serious. Like an actual hedgehog is acting up. Oh my! This is awesome. Joanna has a hedgehog, everyone. Does your hedgehog, like, sit on your lap at all? No, but I can let him sit on my lap because he's being... Oh, my God. Let's see. His name is Fig. His name is what? Fig. Fig. He's just chilling. It's his podcast now. It's his interview. I love it. How'd you decide to get a hedgehog? Um, Hedgehogs have been my favorite animal since, like, I was 10 years old. And... Um, I just, you know, I had a cat back, I, I still had a cat, um, back in New York, and so I was like, I can't get a small animal, even though he's spiky, um, with a cat, so oh. I was able to get this past, I got him in September, actually, so he's still, he's still small. I love he's, it, I, I feel like yeah. during this time, people have gotten cats and dogs, but you got a hedgehog. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people, like, over the course of quarantine get uh, pets, Mm -hmm. which makes sense, because especially people that don't have pets need that comfort, um, just when you're just home. I mean, you have a hedgehog, which is not a common pet to get, either. No, it's, no, Uh it's not. (laughs) Yeah, people are telling me, it's like, you should get a cat or something. Like, honestly, I gotta find a living situation that's a little bit more permanent to even consider getting a pet. Yeah, I'm moving right. again. Well, <laughs> so. Oh, really? When? So I, when we last spoke, I was in my first place in New York, and I moved out of there mid-November, and I found this situation, which is a sublet, till January 31st. So then after that, I have to think of where I'm going to live next. Hopefully somewhere where I don't have to move again after two or three months, but in order to get out of the last situation, I had to find something. This is what worked. Um, okay. Well, n- nothing at all yeah. compared. <laughs> nothing that compares. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. I hope you yeah. find a, a place that does not have to have you move out after a few months. Oh, yes. I hope so. I was like, it doesn't compare to losing my possessions, though, in a house. Oh, it's, it's That's okay. like a... No, I mean, your experiences are still very, very valid. True. So. Yeah. Speaking of trauma, that's its own type of trauma. It's like having to constantly feel like, where am I going to be living next is stressful. Yeah. 
especially during a pin. When we spoke initially, it was a pretty interesting experience too when we were talking. But you said you have actually experienced like losing your home, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. I don't know. I feel like uh, because, and it's up to everybody's perception too, but like everybody considers it's a generalization that adoption is considered a trauma, whether it's like good or bad negative effects to you. I do think losing your home is more of a concrete trauma that I don't think I've ever really heard about. Would you be able to talk more about your experience? That was not something anybody ever wants to go through, but because you're already an adoptee, right? And then that, that, that right. itself, you have to deal with all that stuff that comes with being an adoptee international. I would, I would still call like being an adoptee like a trauma yeah. in a sense. Okay. I still agree with that. Yeah. Um, I guess since you consider, you personally say, yes, I do consider adoptee a trauma. But then like you lost your home at one point, which is like another form of trauma. Yeah. Has that almost desensitized you a little bit to like really big events or impacted you in such a like way but you actually did go through your experience of like losing stuff right like I don't know if you lost your papers or anything important during it was a house Um, fire wasn't it yeah um it was through the walls so a lot of what I lost was like due to like smoke smoke and water damage because the firefighters had to um like you know, take those, like, I don't know, like, machetes and, like, go through the walls to see where the fire was coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did lose a lot of things, but it wasn't, like, oh, it was, like, burned. It was more, like, destroyed by water and smoke. Oh, okay. If that makes sense. It does. Okay. Yeah, but it still, like, destroys the content, too. Like, if it's paper, if it's water and smoke damage, you can't really use it. <laughs> I think, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah. Yeah, and then when they had to, like, go through the things, they had to, like, knock things off the shelves, and so then that would also, like, damage those, so. Wow, okay, so it really wasn't, like, fire damage, it's more of the damage caused because to get to the fire and stop it. Yeah, it, it made me less materialistic. I don't, I didn't consider myself a materialistic person in, before, but it made me even less so um, afterwards. Yeah, even less, I'm sure. Yeah, it's like you probably don't really actually need as much stuff as we all think we do. The biggest takeaway from that, though, was the sense that home wasn't a place and it was more just like a feeling because, you know, I remember like traveling and stuff when I was younger getting super homesick. But then once I didn't have a building to associate with home, um, it kind of just became the feeling of like what felt secure. So definitely um, the, that feeling of like home has changed, which I, I kind of uh, in some sense credit that to being able to like go all the way to Canada for school. And now that we're talking about it, it's actually kind of therapeutic to think, oh yeah, you're right, actually having to like constantly move or like not having a building associated for home. It's the uncertainty that really is what's overwhelming more than anything. Yeah. The fact of like a physical place to be, it's really like, do I feel secure where I'm at? Yeah. It also gave me um, my, my uh, university essay topic, so. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah, there, yeah, exactly. Um, but I did also mention my adoption in there as well. Yeah, just throwing a couple of the traumas I'm adopted. Yeah. 
my house. Yeah, exactly. a mixing bowl of traumas. It's like I lost my house. It's cool. I just want to come to school here though and take care of animals though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In. Oh my gosh. Because how long were you without like basically I guess a home as a building for after that? Just a few months or was it a really long time? Um, we moved it. We ended up moving into this like different building. It was in the uh, neighborhood like next to the one that I live in in New York. And so we lived there for about a year. But no, um, for the first two weeks um, after the fire, we had neighbors that kind of took us in and we kind of just lived in this one little room. Me and my mom, my cat, my dog, were all just in this back room. Little, wow. Yeah. And then um, we were able to find a place that we were in for about a year. This was, well, this was junior year of high school. Oh, yeah. That's still a pretty big, crucial time, I think, for deciding where you're going to go to school. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Like I applied to most of my, the most of my schools that I applied to, um, I did not tour. Okay, I know for me, I was like, what? You didn't tour any of those places, but you just applied? I probably will insert for free. Um, I toured this, this school before I made my final decision, um, but like literally just like a few months before. And then um, I also went to tourist school in Pennsylvania because that's where like my relatives are mm -hmm. and so but then I had like schools like in upstate New York and I also had like in Delaware and stuff like that that I, I didn't visit I just applied to that's pretty common actually I think it's I'm just speaking from like my personal experience my dad was very into like we should tour all the schools that you want to apply to and you can decide I found that to be pretty helpful yeah like, everybody has their way of doing it <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm sure during, and if, if it were like normal circumstances, I would, I would have toured all of the different schools, but um, because we were in this, like, in between of like, you know, getting, getting our stuff together after the fire, I, it, that just wasn't like the top priority, like obviously right. education was, but not, not necessarily like driving up to like Binghamton and seeing the school or anything. I'm really, I'm really, like, chill and used to talking about it, so, like, for me, yeah. it's just a regular conversation, but I, I get how it can um, take others by, like, surprise. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, if you're able to talk about it, too, so openly, I think that shows a lot of, like, obviously, you've worked through it, or you're worked, yeah, you've worked through it, or you're working through it, past, present, and now it's, you're clearly doing okay now, <laughs> otherwise. Yeah, I feel like I primarily worked through it. It's definitely you know, a different, a different sort of trauma than adoption, where mm. adoption is like a cons consistently working through that and processing that wall with the fire. It was like, yes, it took me a while. And sometimes like things will come before I'll remember it or something, but it's not as deeply ingrained as adoption for me, at least right. it's still really there, but it's not, it doesn't uh, like come up as much. Yeah, yeah, because I think an isolated event, I guess, would be, in that moment, it was pretty extreme, pretty intense, but as time passes, it's not going to be as strong of an impact. Yeah. To make it about me, but yeah, once I finally no, move <laughs> and not have to move after three or four months, I probably feel the same way in a different sense. Yeah, you'll like, you'll look back on it and be like, wow, I did that. I've learned a lot from this experience too, like having to move in the New York City. I think it's like a welcome to this lifestyle. 
Yeah, definitely. How it feels. It's only recently that I've actually spoke with somebody who is gender fluid. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot about that. And then I spoke with somebody who also actually went through the process of transitioning. The person who's gender fluid mentioned they would like to hear perspectives of others who are like part of the LGBT community, like what they're, I don't know, I don't necessarily think it's like your adoption affects that at all, but I think just from the perspective of an adoptee and relationships in general can be complicated, but also, yeah. Oh like my God, yes, let's. Okay, we're going to get into okay. it. And just, yeah. It's all good. It's all good. Okay, now now we can get into it. So it's like the last time I talked about this was with Sage, who is who identifies as gender fluid. Asked them a lot about the questions of what does that mean for how you identify yourself, and then also relationships, because truly I do think I personally have only experienced the heterosexual side of relationships, where I'm attracted to the person of the opposite sex and I identify as female but I also do think a part of me is like I'm very attracted to women too like physically I do find women very beautiful but I just haven't been attracted in an emotional level on that way okay and I don't think this has anything to do with adoption but it's just kind of interesting to speak with somebody who's adopted their perspective on relationships just because you are adopted like does it play into it does it not right go for it yeah Yeah, no. Um, So personally, I identify as a lesbian. And I first, uh, like, kind of, the first time that I, like, I, like, now looking back, I can see that there were different times where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a sign. But I first really, like, came to terms with it um, in the later years of high school. I knew that I was, uh, like, and was able to accept that I was attracted to girls in my later years of high school. But it wasn't until I fully kind of gave myself a label um, into my first year of uh, my undergrad. I was like, you realized, and you say by giving a label, you mean actually identifying as like lesbian as a label, or I guess once you identified, it helped you feel more open to like express and actually date, or not necessarily? It was more that before I thought that I was bisexual, Mm -hmm. which like to all the bisexuals out there, like of course, your identity is completely valid. I just realized it wasn't who I was. And so in high school, in the later years of high school, I thought that I was bisexual, but um, then I realized that I wasn't. Which again, just disclaimer, it's totally chill and valid if you're bisexual. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't. Um, I just wanted to like, oh, I always like to make that clear. And so I think that it just, I guess in a sense, it did kind of make me more like, in a sense of like being able to just like know within myself mm-hmm. because I think as an adoptee I struggle with being in the gray area and kind of not I always want to know certain things um including like about myself like I wanted to know um like who I was and so when I was able to um kind of figure that out and have more clarity with that I it felt better um I, but I also, like, agree with the people that are, like, kind of, like, F-labeled, we don't need them, because I don't necessarily feel like I need to label myself and tell everyone. Right. I think that it's just, it made it easier within myself to know, but I, I don't, 
I also understand and uh, sympathize with the people that are like, we don't need to label themselves because I don't necessarily feel the need to um, outwardly tell everyone. Right. But like, just for the purpose of this, like I'm attracted to women. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dating, dating is rough in general. I can imagine. In general, I think we all have that problem. Dating sucks. It does. It sucks. I found myself very much with the like adoption trauma side of me, you know, doubting my self-worth and, you know, just being afraid that the other person's going to leave. Um, I'm currently in a relationship with um, a girl and I just, I, I realize like in the back of my head, there's always that voice that's worried she's going to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, she's very sympathetic to my experience and will like reassure me that she won't, but um, there's always that little voice inside my head that's like, oh, they're going to leave. And that's because of my adoption, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure that's that's not just like me. I'm sure that that's other adoptees as oh, well. Yeah. That's just, um, it's like a focus, unfortunately, of when you're like getting to be uh, connected with someone on a deeper level. And then you're just worried that that's going to be ripped away from you. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's true. I feel like yeah. nobody, I don't think people have said that before on a recording. So it's kind of cool. It's good to like have that out there because it's true. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's unfortunate, but it's like, I, I would almost think, and this is me being presumptuous, but I think almost like being involved with somebody who's a female, because I, I tend to think we communicate better, supposedly. Yes, we do. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> it's like, I tend to think we communicate better, but being involved with a female, like having a relationship, like having a girlfriend almost would make it easier, but that's probably not the case either. It's easier than, you know, that's a good point. I feel like it depends on, you know, because I feel like it also depends on just the person in general, how good of a communicator. True, true. true. I think that um, in the sense women have maybe the ability in certain senses to be more compassionate and sympathetic. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely like to think that's kind of maybe what you're getting on. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it, I think that that fear that the person's going to leave is still, it's it's still there. I, I'm not sure if it would um, be not as prominent if it were with another, a person of another gender mm-hmm. who identified as uh a different gender but I, I see where you're coming from and maybe 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 it would be the fear <laughs> is less but I don't I don't really have anything to com- really compare it to yeah how did you meet the person you're dating now how did you meet your girlfriend I should say tinder, tinder. nice yeah. yeah I mean tinder has become more of a relationship uh app too recently so I've noticed just from like, you know, other friends' experiences and stuff that it's Tinder at least is, I feel like it's safer with, if you're just looking for, for like the girls on there versus like the guys. Oh. Um, hearing from like my friends' experiences and stuff, it just, it seems, and that kind of gets to what you were saying about like the communication and everything like that, where it seems like it's more communication based and less like, I guess, hookup and sex driven. Mm-hmm. With, um, 
that's I guess kind of like a difference. That's a great thing about the apps too. It's providing a way for people to connect in this time, especially. Yeah. Um, Because I think even after the new year, it's still going to be a little rough. Oh yeah. Even after the rollouts of the vaccines to the general public. That's true. It's it's still going to be a little rough. So, because you definitely got got me correct on the uh, assumption that's like, oh yeah, just because it's a female, it's a better communicator. Not necessarily true. Yeah, no, I've I've known people, even just friends, um, who are, like, females, and they maybe are really bad communicators, you know? So, like, I think that definitely, in a sense, communication along certain lines uh, can be better with girls, but it also depends on the type of person. That's true. At the end of the day, it depends on the person you're speaking to. Yeah. Yeah. I think I read something recently or heard probably on another podcast I'm sure that the bi- most complicated thing in life really is people it's undetermined what you're going to get with people but other things you can have a better grasp or control of what you'll do in response but people are very much whatever the term is people are very much the unknown yeah people are complicated humans they suck sometimes yeah. <laughs> It's interesting though for you for you personally that it was like when you decided after I guess exploring and interest like your the curiosity and then you were able to determine let you identify as lesbian that is like a lot easier probably to be yourself because already as adoptees we don't know ourselves sometimes. So. Yeah. <laughs> so that gave that was able to give me clarity within myself, but I also don't feel like you know, in the sense of the coming out experience, I feel like I didn't really have, like, you know, you can see some people um, will, like, make it a video and, like, it's a big thing for them, but for me, it was kind of just like, oh, I tell someone, and then they react, and then, eh, Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, Um, so in a sense, it was, labeling myself was a large, was an important part for me Mm -hmm. within myself, but to others, and, like, to explain my label to others, it's not, that's not, it's not that important. Yeah. It's like, it's not really relevant. And not everybody deserves to know that either, depending who you right. speak with. It's like, uh, you don't deserve to know about my life in that way. So. Right. But I'm open, to do. you know, I'm open about it. Just mm-hmm. like, yeah. It's like, it's just a part of who you are. Exactly. And that's the same as like my adoption. Like I don't have any trouble like um, telling people that I'm adopted. A lot of the times, actually, I've gotten reactions where people are like, I'll say I'm adopted and I'll, like, I'll be fine with it. And, like, I'll say it casually and then people will be like, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. <laughs> okay. Um, and I, I just, I find those reactions, uh, like, to that very interesting. It's like, that's their way of saying, I'm uncomfortable that you told me that. Don't talk about it. You know? Uh, yeah. Especially whatever tone they use, too. It's like, okay, you're the one who asked. Kind I know. Of. Yeah, and it's like, I feel like that's the same, like, you wouldn't say that if someone was like, I live in New York City. And then someone would, like, you wouldn't say, oh, you don't have to talk about that if you don't want to. <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I think it's more specific to my experience, maybe, it to use that a little bit because it's kind of funny is because I have mentioned it, it's like yeah I moved to New York City I moved twice and I have to move again oh you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to 
yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> like you're already talking about it. Right. So it's like never mind, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, these are those common to- terms and tones, because it's a tone too that really makes difference. It's funny because in Mandarin you have like the four tones and depending on whatever tone you use with the word, it has a different meaning. I think that definitely transfers into every language, even though there's not a specified tone for the words we use in English. There's definitely different meanings depending on how you use your tone of voice. Right, as well as body language. A lot of the times if I say something um, sarcastically say something about like my experience with the fire, people will kind of just like tense up a bit. Yeah, that's fortunate. I'm like, I'm not tense. Like, I'm calm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, faced with like uncomfortable experiences too, I think people just tend to shut down. Mm-hmm. So it's good that we can have a forum like this where we can talk about it so openly. And yeah. Choose to listen, you choose to listen. If not, I don't care. I'm not offended. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I don't have any say. I think that what, you know, I think that you had, that you made a point where when you were saying that um, with women, it's easier to communicate and stuff, because I feel like women all have that shared experience of um, just like any other like minority group um, of being kind of oppressed in a situation. So in the sense of being in like a male dominated society, women um, and like trans women, um, they obviously have a different experience but women, you know, whether they're cisgender or not, um, have that experience of being oppressed under a male-dominated society. And I think mm-hmm. um, that does make communication about certain things definitely easier among women over if you try to discuss that with a man, especially a cisgender man. Yeah, 100%. Like, if I try to talk about, you know, women's struggles to, like, if, you know, like dress coding in schools, mm-hmm. for example, I feel like if I were to talk to a cisgendered man about that, they would just be like, what? So I definitely agree with you. I think that certain things are definitely easier. Yeah, they definitely have a privilege. I think they just sometimes forget they have that. The last question is, do you have anything you would like to hear from other adoptees or others who adoption is a big part of their life? I guess wondering at what point did uh, other adoptees kind of either really want to reflect upon their adoption versus, or if they didn't want to. Um, Because I know for me that, you know, that adoptee identity really came to the forefront in high school. And so I guess just wondering, like, for others, when, when did their adoptee identity become kind of really a central part of their own identity? That's a really good, it's a really good question. It's good insight too. I keep trying to ask and figure that out when I speak with adoptees too, because it sometimes seems there's like different levels of interest, but when it becomes a really central part of your identity, you put a lot of time and energy invested into like learning about it. Yeah. Which varies for everybody too. I feel like for me, it's it it started in high school, and I'm I'm still in the, definitely in like, in that same mindset of like just like mm-hmm. having this central part and just processing what that means to me. Yeah, 
I think you're definitely pretty far along from my personal perspective because I would say high school became very much the forefront like it was apparent but I didn't really do anything until like two years ago so there was a good break in between where I didn't do much reflecting or learning about it but I always was aware yeah I mean literally yeah I I guess kind of the same because as of two years ago I've been involved with families with children from China Mm. that organization and um, I've been on their adoptee board this is uh, my third year and so, um, you know, I guess high school, you know, kind of figuring it out, but then by beginning of uh, undergrad, just um, really kind of digging deeper into it. Yeah. I think that that experience also of like being away from home and like being on my own and like in, even in like a different um, setting, being in Canada versus New York, definitely also contributed to like me feeling, I guess, a bit freer to um reflect more on what adoption meant to me mm-hmm. or means to me yeah and it takes a lot of courage to also do that too i would say to go away from home and what's comfortable what's secure yeah um, you do learn a lot yeah definitely and you're still learning a lot too because you're still experiencing yeah and i feel like also like the fact that i'm like taking these Asian studies courses as well definitely also contributes to helping me reflect upon adoptee identity that I have. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. yeah. This is great. I'm glad our conversation covered some pretty serious stuff too, but also pretty positive as well. I mean, it goes Yeah. Back. Would you want to, if you want people to contact you, if, if not, I totally understand, but would you want to share your Instagram or your social media? Yeah, sure. Um, so my Instagram is Juliana Clark 88, which is just my name. <laughs> and is it Juliana with one N? Yes, it's okay. J-U-I-A-N-A-C-L-A-R-K. So Clark without an E as well. One N, no E. Good to yes, know. exactly. And then eight, eight, twice. Just yes. <laughs> I'm always, I'm always open to connecting with other adoptees and everything. So yeah, everybody feel free to reach out is really what it is. Yeah. Yes, so I was like to say goodbye for now. Yeah, I'd be definitely down to talking with you again and definitely staying in touch as well. Thank you for listening to ABC. If you would like to share your story, you can reach me at adoptedbabiesfromchina at gmail.com or adoptedbabiesfromchinapod on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for listening.